also so a little nice responsive, so no cursing. <laughs> no, oh yeah. yeah. I think that, that ship is firmly sailed. Yeah. <laughs> months and months and months ago. Oh god, I don't know how to start. Do I just start? Hello there! <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to what we're calling uh, a very vanishing Q&A. Uh, I'm Lauren Grace Thompson. You may know me from speaking in a totally different accent throughout the entire show as the narrator. Uh, I'm joined by head writer, co-director, co-producer, just like co-a bunch of things, Ian Gears. Ian, hey. Hello. All right. So we have a few other members of our Vanishing Act team who we will introduce in just a moment. But for now, welcome again to our season one wrap up question and answer session. Now, uh, you may have been able to guess by the fact that I just alluded to this being the first season when we have always referred to ourselves as a 12-ish part series. And there are now 12 parts out, but we will be talking spoilers in this Q&A, up to and including the finale, and maybe chatting a bit about what comes next. So, if you're not caught up, we highly recommend that you do that before listening any further to this episode. And if you're listening to this, you've already got our feed pulled up, so just, like, go right on back. We'll wait. All right, so now that you've done that... <laughs> I've just got a few more pieces of business that I'll truck through as quickly as possible before I get to everyone else here who is much more charismatic than me. That was a great bit. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so, shout, out, shout out to that bit. Okay, so if, you've, uh, if you're listening to a Q&A episode, I'm assuming you like the show. Hopefully that you like want to hear more of us talking. Otherwise, what are you doing I here? really don't know. If you hate us, then like, what's going on here? Um, so if you're a fan, you may want to know how you can quickly, effectively, and painlessly support the show. And if so, here's just a few things that you can do. You can always leave us a review on your platform of choice. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods. There's a million of them, so just, like, pick one. Our friends over at Pocket Cast. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you can leave reviews on that, but if you can, do it. And as a thank you for reviewing us and helping us spread the word, DM or email us on any of our socials. We're at VanishingPod pretty much everywhere. And we will mail you a set of Vanishing Act stickers, which I'm holding up to our webcam. Like, you can see those. But, Ian, do you want to describe what those stickers are? Yeah, Lauren, we have six different stickers. We have a variety here. Mm -hmm. We've got some that just say the name. We've got some that say quotes from the show. For instance, Vicky St. Francis's famous line in episode mm -hmm. six, Destiny, that's not real but this party is we also have uh ones of devora the duck a character that got a lot of questions asked about her um, and uh, i'd say a third of the questions in this q a were devora related so thank you daniel millhouse's catchphrase old sport and uh and we have the title thumbnail here so we will send you these if you hold up your end of the bargain and write us a review don't you want some sweet sweet stickers i think you do also, we just started a coffee account or Kofi. We don't really know how it's pronounced, and everyone on Twitter really argued very intensely about the correct pronunciation of this platform. Uh, but if you want to monetarily support us in any small way, we are deep into production in our next stages, so we welcome all help. You can do small amounts, large amounts, whatever you'd like. So that's going to be ko-fi.com slash vanishingpod. Um, okay, I think that's... It? Hopefully. I think that's all the, the boring part. Um, so I put it right up front because I'm anxious about self-promotion and I wanted to get it over with. I thought you did great. Aw, thank you. So I'm going to introduce the other people that we have here. Again, uh, sitting right beside me is our head writer, co-director, co-producer, Ian Gears. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. All right. 
moving on, we have the first of two Daniels here tonight, which I'm sure won't cause any confusion at all. We have Daniel Eddie Williams. Daniel, why don't you introduce yourself and let us know That's what me. you do on the show? That's you. Oh my god. Um, I do I do the funny noises that, yeah. uh, <laughs> that uh, you hear the silly little bits and things. Um, I am, so my pronouns are uh, he, uh, him, they, them. Uh, I, um, I'm the audio engineer and sometimes guest, uh, <laughs> actor, voice actor, uh, I do some of the bits. You pop up all over the place on this show. Yeah, you're yeah. the Huckleberry. You kind of fill in <laughs> yeah. every and anywhere. <laughs> you really can't go like two episodes without hearing your voice on this show. Just stealthily slipping in there. Still um, slip in there. So fantastic. Um, and then we have our, a few of our cast members here. Uh, let's see who's on the screen. Let's start with Sarah. Sarah Price, why don't you introduce yourself and let us know what you do? Uh, hey, gang. Uh, my name is Sarah Price. Um, my pronouns are uh, she, hers. Uh, I play Augie Eckhart, um, the the lovable curmudgeon uh, and absolute <laughs> asshole uh, that that Lauren and Ian wrote for me. Um, and yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. She won an Audioverse Award, guys. In, in 2020. Because yeah, <laughs> we will never let her forget. Uh, fantastic. So we also have Tina Munoz-Pandia. Hi, Tina. Hello. Hey. Want to tell us go? about you? <laughs> yeah, <Hey>. just go. <laughs> it's going well. Um, I'm yeah. Tina Munoz-Pandia. My, <laughs> my pronouns are she, her, hers. I play Lilith and also by extension, Brett. Um, and, and some other folks. Um, Spoiler! <laughs> oh, well, Master of Disguise over here. We did here. ask them to listen, <laughs> so. Yeah, no, no anything that they hear from here on out is firmly their fault. Lauren yeah, gave so. everyone a firm one to two second pause to turn this <laughs> off if they have not listened past the finale. <laughs> and you know what? That's on them. Your reflexes are yeah. too slow. We love oh, to start things off by blaming the listeners. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's going to really gain us some traction. Leave us a review and let us know how you feel about that. <laughs> it also feels very much like our brand. And yeah. you know, 2021 yeah. is all about brands. Right. <laughs> And then finally joining us, we have the second of our two Daniels, which is why we will likely be calling him by his last name, Daniel Milhouse. Hey, Daniel. Hello. Uh, I'm Daniel Milhouse, and I play Conrad Webley Griffson. No. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. This is so awesome. Bad. I'm so glad you're using your real voice for this. Yes, you know, from Cornwall, England, <laughs> where the ancestors are from. Are you going to do that this whole episode? I want people so. to think I'm a better actor than I am <laughs> oh, right, okay, by right, thinking okay. that I Solid change strategy. my voice for the vanishing act. <laughs> but all my relatives are from Cornwall, England. I did oh. a 23 in me, 99.8%. All my relatives, I would hope all my relatives were related. But okay. Well, okay. yeah, well sure. since Daniel Milhouse started it, now we all got to go through what are our 23 and me. That's right. Right, 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 right. I realized I forgot to give my pronouns at the beginning. I, I go by he, him uh, pronouns. I uh, go by she, her pronouns. I also forgot. Uh, I'm a bad moderator for that. We also don't know who Milhouse plays. <laughs> oh, yeah, he said Who it. am I? I we do. <laughs> he said I have it. an identity <laughs> crisis. I also go by he, him pronouns. I am yes. from Flint, Michigan, not England. I fooled everyone on this Zoom. <laughs> Call. It's true. Uh, Who the fuck I wish do I could you play? Uh, I play Conrad Webley Griffin. That's the non-spoiler name. 
And then there's another second Nick. There's a which second Which will get a lot of play in the second season. That's right. It's great. Listen to our second season when it comes out, please. All right. It's do we want to jump into questions? Ian, do you want to talk about anything first? Congratulations on the whole first season being out, y'all. Yeah. Woo! Thank you for your hard work. Woo! Thank you. This was Woo! a giant labor of love, and yeah. you all were among the ones that have been that have put in the longest hours on mm-hmm. all of this. So honestly, none of this could have happened without you. Yeah. Everyone else that was not invited to this Q and A, I won't say. We're looking at you, Sam Hubbard. Yeah. Sam Hubbard. <laughs> Drag him. I feel like Drag him. The first question. Yeah. <laughs> first question of the night: Which cast member that's not here do you hate the most? Go. <laughs> Sam Hubbard. Elizabeth Hubbard. <laughs> I hate myself the most. I know I'm here, but that's not. <laughs> Cheating. Question. That tracks for you. Yeah. That's all oh. I had to say. Right. No, that wasn't a real first question. I no. thought we were starting with. No, no, it wasn't. With... Oh, it was. It was I mean, technically, it was in that I asked it, and I'm in charge. So yeah, it was. So Lauren has called uh, a bunch of questions. We put out uh, feelers to uh, to our fans and friends online if they had any questions for the cast and crew of the show, uh, and they responded back with actually a lot of really excellent questions. Of, mm-hmm. Quite honestly, I was very surprised by a lot yeah. of these. Um, so good for all of you. And, that uh, poked but, a lot of holes in our plot. <laughs> <laughs> our plot is airtight. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. There are no holes. <laughs> what Have you ever overwritten about? something to get through a plot hole instead of going back and editing? Welcome to season one. That's, <laughs> that's your approach. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's a plot hole, but also our characters would never notice it, so we don't have to address it. I don't know. Augie pays a lot of attention to holes. But like, (laughs) just not the right ones, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the first question of the night, the official first question of the night, comes from someone named Sarah Price. Weird coincidence. Um, This question says, yeah, I have a question for Millhouse. The question is, how dare you? Hmm. Is this in regards to my British accent? I think just in general. <laughs> oh, how dare I life. exist? You know, I've asked myself this every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it's a matter of waking up. <laughs> That's how I dare. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I went through... take a lesson from that. And I went through the <laughs> D.A.R.E. program in, in middle school. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, elementary That was actually school. the question. How do you D.A.R.E.? Yes. How do yeah. you say no to drugs? Well, now you're giving him the answer. That, well, no, thank you. I didn't have a real answer. Well, no, that was a real answer. Yeah. yeah. We'll allow All it. All your answers tonight are going to be fake. And that's you're something you're just going to have to live with. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's are they fake or are they not? It's like two truths and a lie. Oh, you get a Q&A and you get a fun play-along game, yeah. listeners. Play-along at home. Yeah. Oh, my God. Who is this man? <laughs> what's true? What's not? Pick a question. Uh, great. Next question. It's the question uh, that's been asked <laughs> since I was born. How dare I? <laughs> this is, uh, you reminded me, I would always tell my dad when I was a little boy, I'd say, I'm normal. And my dad would always say, that's the funniest joke I've ever heard. <laughs> Actually, this goes great into this next question. This next question is, which characters started out as your friends' voices in your head while you were writing, which ended up that way over time? And and which ones ended up that way over time? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, So uh, I'll be upfront and honest about this. Sarah uh, pitched this to when it was in the very early stages of being written. And 
no nobody else has ever read for Augie aside from Lauren, and this was well after we already knew that Sarah was going to be, you know. I ho- only ever read Augie when Sarah wasn't available. So I was writing for Sarah from pretty much after like the first episode, first or second episode was written, and then we just kind of started curving it towards Sarah. Similar thing happened with Tina, where I cornered Tina on a gig that we were both working on and was like, would you like to do this character? And I remember the moment it happened. We were in that hot tub. (laughs) Please keep telling this story. (laughs) That's mostly the best Western, Lauren, I love you. This This is is a a legendary. Oh, yeah, no, I feel like I should just leave it. No, Uh, it's a legendary hot tub uh, in Miami. It's like the hugest hot tub I've ever been in. We were in there like every day after our show, just like sitting I love this hot tub more than I love most things in my life. So I remember very vividly Ian explaining the vanishing act to me in this hot tub. And I was like, I don't know if it's the hot tub, but I love this idea. And here we are. It was a real good strategic move, like move on his part to get you at that moment. At your most relaxed. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. She's like, sure. Why not? I'll do a podcast. Why not? I walk around pool areas at hotels in three piece suits. (laughs) Your pea skin. Yeah, my old piece skin. Um, and then Millhouse actually, when we were trying to figure out who we wanted to read these roles uh, near the beginning, I wasn't Lauren, even in mind. Well, Lauren suggested you. I'll say. Did I? You did. And after that, we could only hear the character in, in Daniel's voice. We did like an initial reading of the show, like when when you had like the first. I think when we had the first four episodes. Yeah, and we were playing around with casting. We did because obviously. Sarah uh, is is playing a, a male identifying character in the show. We played around with a lot other kind of like gender swapped roles and figuring out, you know, more about the what actor we felt kind of had the essence of the character. I think originally and Lauren Stepney, who plays Hirschfelder now, read Lilith in that initial time. reading. Ooh, yeah. I listened. Yeah, to and so and he, he was spicy. Yeah, of course he was. <laughs> and Eric Eilerson as Misha in oh. the first in the first episode is m- one of my favorite reads of all time. So good, um, it's so funny ooh. to me. Yeah, uh, no one else has ever read that role either. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, everybody else kind of once casting started and we started throwing out ideas, we we tailored pretty much every single role for that actor mm-hmm. to try and think of what would be funny for this person to say. What do they naturally have? Like, what what are the speech patterns of, of these actors in, in kind of real life? And then trying to figure out how to implement that into the characters. And, and at the end of the day, just tried to give everybody something fun to do. That's yeah. my answer for how dare I. Let me, everything you just said. <laughs> well, didn't you also, because um, I remember you talking about this, and let me know if this is just fully false. Um, I'll edit it out like, if it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but you talked about how, like, Griffson's character was not supposed to continue on being, like, a mainstay of the show, and then, you know, Daniel did such a good job. Oh, well. um, well, (laughs) He he saved himself. I think it was particularly the manic energy that he brought out in Sarah that we loved. (laughs) 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 I think we, we did that, yeah, he was supposed to be done after episode four. Yeah. And then we did that first reading of the first four episodes and what the kind of the stuff past it hadn't really been written at that point. And um, we just loved the chemistry between you two. And like, <laughs> just like you two as people and you two as these characters, it was just, it was incredibly funny. And we just knew that we had to reunite you two. <laughs> if you've never seen the Romeo and Juliet, you really miss out. God. <laughs> The, the only I didn't get to see that show. The only Romeo that's ever given me finger guns. <laughs> for sure. 
Yeah, if you if y'all didn't know, another fun fact about the show is that we a lot of us met either uh, I knew Daniel in college. Um, we went to the same college, but then um, I think most of the acting cast met while doing this um, this regional school touring show. Um, so we all acted together doing Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth. Um, and so we've all, you know, been doing that show and I missed the show where you two got to play Romeo and Juliet and I'll regret it for the rest of my life. <laughs> Same. It was, it was fucking awesome. I did not know that until like shockingly recently and yeah. like, that's the cutest shit I've ever heard. Next question. Yeah, next question. Pick one. Ian, any, um, pick a question. Any question. Great. Here's one. Are any of the characters based on anyone from real life? I guess this could be a question for you, the writer, or from our actors, if they have any real-life inspiration. Yeah, I'll give the short uh, writing answer. Uh, no, not really. They're, uh, they're, Augie is a lot of... <laughs> uh, I, I hate to admit this. Augie is a lot of my kind of worst thoughts a lot of times kind of coming up. And me realizing when I write them down, wow, I'm an asshole. So I made Sarah say them. And, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, aside from that, everybody is... is more so based on the actors that are playing them. But uh, yeah. what about any of you? Did, you? did you base your characters off of anyone? Well, yeah. I, no, I didn't. But once we got into the recording scenario, out of recording booth, oh, yeah. I don't know. I was in my closet under a blanket. But um, uh, <laughs> I, I received... We just didn't tell you where the studio was. <laughs> right, no, yeah. I wasn't allowed in. Um, I, I received the note many, many, many times from uh, our dear two um, fearless leaders to just read the line like Batman. Um, and what what came out was never anything like Batman. Like I am incapable of doing a Batman impression, but it was something. So that's yeah. the only like I, Batman's not a real person. Um, but it works. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It works. That's if you believe, you're right. You're right. You're right. And I'll allow fictional characters. And it's obviously pretty... the Christian Bale Batman. You're oh, yeah. it's 100%. the downer. Yeah. Yeah. You also did a pretty mean Benoit Blanc impression. This is true. Yeah, that was... It would have been yeah. wild if you had done like an Adam West Batman, I think, and taken that <laughs> note in that direction. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Next time. We'll get that into a future season. Yeah. She's a master of disguise. We'll oh, do yeah. it. Oh my god, please. I will say that like later Lilith, and this is a little like tease for season two, I think that basically my view on Lilith has always been like, oh, she's the doctor from Doctor Who, but like full dirtbag version. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question. This comes from, from someone. As a huge Augie fan, I gotta ask, who or what was the inspiration for this character from you. This is just a, a, an extended version of the question we were just asking. Oh, yeah. gosh. So you what, to give what did you Sarah base, another compliment. What did you base your performance on? Myself, it, obviously. <laughs> um, How no, dare I, you? I, I, uh, oh, gosh. No, I, um, I could just see him so clearly in my mind and I, I don't, um, I think, like, also there's something to be said that as a woman, uh, which is the only way I identify, um, everything I do, I'm a woman. Um, no, but as a woman, I feel like I don't get to, um, be driven completely. I don't get a lot of characters that are driven completely by ego and sex drive or lack, you know, or and lack of, and lack of sex. I don't feel like those are motivators, um, that I, I've gotten to play a lot. Um, they're, they've been motivators in my life a lot um and, and a lot of my poor decisions but i don't feel like i get to uh sort of exercise that demon a lot and so just reading this was just the most amount of fun because i 
um, I felt like I, I got to get to play all of the things that I feel as a human being, but don't actually, <laughs> as a woman, get to play very often, which is just blind male ego and mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, like a, a, a sexual celibacy that is imposed upon him uh, because of who he is and how he acts and everything he says uh so that was yeah that was really exciting for me i could just see him i don't know who it was but i could just see him are we confirming that augie's like just straight up in inc- i mean like it's it's true that he's an incel but like <laughs> would, would augie be like i don't think he has the organization to do anything about it is what i would say yeah. i think he is He's like, it's one of those where like he had all the potential, but I don't think he is. No, he's not. He he could also never get along with that many other people <laughs> to be a part of any group. He got kicked out day one, like around the cooler. Yeah. Augie is one of those people I always get the vibe, especially from your performance. And it's like the second that Augie's in a room with someone who's worse than him, he's like, oh, okay, that's sort of what I sound like. I'm going to stop doing that now. That's <laughs> fucked up. Like he just needs to see it reflected back and go oh no i'm fucking annoying i hate this when it's another person doing this yeah he can even see the exact same behavior and be like why well, don't do that i love him because i just don't understand the calcul the ethical calculus that this man has to go through every single day to justify his existence the most terrifying thing is it's like a lot of augie's thought process is like yeah that just makes sense <laughs> like this is, writing it is just like well yeah obviously well, obviously this. Like, yeah. 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 Of um, this next question is for Daniel Eddie Williams. Mm-hmm. What, if any, were the inspirations for the soundscape of the Vanishing Act? Oh my God. Um, I. That's like a really good question because I don't. It, it, I think that like just in general, like I had this kind of idea of what the show like would sound like in my head like that being said like it was a lot of like kind of like shooting in the dark and then figuring out like oh that works oh that doesn't um but i think that like it i don't know i couldn't point to like a specific like kind of like media that um like specific thing that would that would be like this is the inspiration for this show like i definitely like listen to um, a bunch of, like, other, like, audio drama stuff. Like, I listen to Bubble. I have also, like, just taken cues from, like, sound design from around um, just, like, TV shows and movies and, like, you consuming enough of that content, like, you just get a sense of, like, oh, this is the, this is the timing uh, and this is, this is the vibe. And um, honestly, I think that, uh, like, the first few episodes were like a like a little bit harder to try and like figure out like we were still like very much experimenting with the vibe of the show um and then we kind of nailed it down to this kind of uh specific process uh in later episodes i don't know if that answers the question um <laughs> but um uh, yeah i i just kind of 
I don't know how I do it. Like, it's just like it. it, it <laughs> it's magical. I go to a fugue state, and then at the end of it, like I'm tired, and the episode is done. So this is follow up question. Uh, another another question that was uh, here, but it seems like a pretty good opportunity to answer it. Oh, yeah. How long does it typically take for you to choose, implement, and master the uh, the sound effects for their, for an episode? For an episode, mm-hmm. um, per knowing that that varies <laughs> per episode. But yeah, right, right, right. Um, so I usually the estimate that we've gone like in terms of like internally in terms of production has been like per finished minute. Uh, it is like an hour of work um and i don't think that's including like uh reading the script and like marking down sound effects which like in some of the episodes ian helped me with like marking down like and flagging like sound effects we needed and sometimes like if not that amount then longer like i'm a terrible estimator of how long an episode (laughs) of the vanishing is going to take uh because i'm working on it constantly and then whenever i'm not working like sometimes i'm like i worked on it but it didn't count uh because i didn't do that much um but then i realized like oh that's actually like quite a bit of stuff that i did uh where it like didn't count so again uh i would say like uh, per finished minute um an hour per finished minute plus you know Oh, this is cool. This yeah, is I like this one. You want to hear? You ask this one. Oh yeah, this is from a person who referred to themselves as Rad. That's awesome. Nice. And you are. Um, this question is: Which character on the show would die first in a cheesy horror movie? Griffson. Whoa. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Now Griffson's 100%. the one you think dies and then shows up at the end yeah. and then dies yeah. at the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> no, Griffson yeah. was secretly killing everyone. Oh, that's probably yeah. That's probably true. <laughs> Griffin's the Jamie Kennedy in Scream who like lays out all the rules but he doesn't die until like the sequel and you're like this is when he's gonna die like okay I I would honestly say probably like Misha and Schmanskoff yeah Yeah. like really they seem important at the top but they're but they also don't have a ton to do with the general plot they're perfectly expendable (laughs) I could see Eilerson's director character also Oh, oh yeah. canonical historical figure Victor Fleming, who directed The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yes, I could see Fleming dying and then Maxine blaming him for his own death. Yes. Yeah. Don't think Maxine I also, yeah. threw him to the wolves as soon as she heard the word zombie. Yeah. You're wrong. I also think we could do a murder mystery style at like max's house at the boar mansion mm. and like maximilian dies yeah. first and it's all about who killed him right. and it's the investigator is red obviously yeah and I the perpetrator is were... bailey mm-hmm. oh, oh absolutely sure. it's bailey in it like a nice knit sweater not graveman though <laughs> no you think, it's great, yeah. Yeah. you think it's great graveman graveman's the, the second to last yeah, to die yeah. makes sense yeah. No, I was going to say, because we do have some elements of that in the back half of the season. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of silly that, that no named character dies. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, you really, put that, you really put that gun on the table to just leave it there to rest. <laughs> yeah, I walked away. Yeah. I went to the bathroom. Then I left. <laughs> I feel very strongly the second person to die would be Rudyard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he would be the first one to have sex. Yes. Yeah. Therefore, the and second would die during to die. it. It's how he'd want to go, yeah. let's be honest. Sure. It's ideal for him. And he I would think... be yelling, but I have a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
he would contractually have to have that on his tombstone. Yes. As his face is being smashed by the plaque of his Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. Oh, oh that's yeah, that would absolutely good. be the weapon. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah the, yeah, the dramatic irony. Well, I was just going to say, I think Augie actually kills someone, but it's not like <laughs> the murderer. Just like on accident too. Yeah, he's just like, oh no! Like yeah. I can't <laughs> tell anyone. Into the killer and accidentally like hit someone. That's how Griffson dies. Oh, oh my no. god! Don't make me Red kill solving Griff. it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I could Red see solving it at the end is like I've solved all of them, but I didn't solve this what? one. How did you kill that person? Augie's like, sorry, that was yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> pure accident. Yeah, yeah. Lilith definitely like uh orient expresses it you know like she tells the whole yeah. story she in does the mustache the, too like oh, in the mustache, the mustache yeah the she figured the whole oh, thing yeah. out way early yeah. yeah my girl loves an outfit she does <laughs> i she loves the disguise i also imagine if maximilian died first he would be back throughout as like a ghost I feel oh, like yeah. he would like haunt everyone just yeah. for, or if Griffson died, he'd be back as a ghost. I don't you know. know. I mean? Like all I, our, I feel like Griffson would be a cowardly ghost. All the topiaries oh. are spirit free, so <laughs> no true. ghosts here. No ghost zone. <laughs> I I agree with Daniel to the extent though that it's like Maximilian's rich enough that he would definitely be able to have a ghost. Yeah. I feel like like rich people get ghosts. Yeah. yeah, yeah right? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. would have already recorded his will and testament. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we would get like a bunch of oh videos from him. What's or, up, losers? If you're watching yeah, this, I'm, I'm already, already dead. Toast. Idiots. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. would be a knives out situation. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's yeah. made Grave Man memorize all of his stuff from Beyond the Game. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Incredible. Yeah. Um, if you could play another character on the show, who would it be? Rudyard. One thousand percent. Why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I mean the accent you love an accent and mm-hmm. i just i i love playing a fuck boy and he's like the ultimate british dashing yeah. fuck boy he's I got just quite think it would the be a good fit yeah 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 he does. yeah sarah what about you oh it's so hard i'm torn between grave man but also oh, yeah. i would have chris Vizaraga's voice in my head the whole time and <laughs> no one can do it better than chris he just no. nailed yeah. it and um or uh, our sweet, um, who's the youngest blob? The name of the youngest blob? Tabitha. Tabitha. Ooh, that's like a polar opposite for Og. So that would be Love very it. fun. But again, our our lovely um, Maeve really crushed it. So it would oh, be very yeah. hard to, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. What about you, Milhouse? I'd want to be Augie, but I'd want to be a commentary on Augie the whole time. <laughs> So just commenting. That's what uh, Griffstein is. <laughs> you mean like Venom? Like, what you yeah, like Venom. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down! <laughs> click, clack, click, clack. I'm writing it down right now. It's it's the vanishing act. What if? Yeah, there we go. Actually, I really, I would just want to be Sarah playing Augie. That's what I want. That doesn't Aww. make any sense. Oh, okay. oh, oh, Augie. Oh, I love people, but I can't love. I knew you were going to get an attempt at my voice in. <laughs> that was it. This was over. You, people couldn't you tell said the difference. love twice in that sentence, and that is two more times than Augie, I think, ever says it in the entire season. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, God. I'm I'll teach you how to be meaner. We'll get there. I, I can I'll teach you how to be meaner. We'll get there. <laughs> Hold on. What about you, Eddie Williams? Oh, I played all the best characters, so I feel as though <laughs> I wouldn't want to change that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. all of it, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, like Sarah, like, it feels like 
you know, Augie, playing Augie would be like a lot of work. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours. It's late nights. I, I'm satisfied with playing like the, you know, the the boys club, the fucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every voice of the RKO Men's Club. Yeah, yes. RKO Men's Club and uh, the other characters I played. I don't know. Most of most of what I was doing was listening to you guys talk the whole throughout this process. So it's like we were just, you were just doing really mean impressions of Lauren and me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, though there is also a really painful young actor in our next installation that Ian <laughs> plays, and that part is. So yes. painfully well written as Sweet an actor, <laughs> like me hearing those lines about being an actor <laughs> were so painful that I would yeah. love an attempt at that because Ian yeah. really crushes um, how fragile our egos. Are. <laughs> <laughs> so just a little teaser. The character, the other character that I'd want to play is also a season two character, so I can't talk about it much. But is another child character, um, mm. and yes. I'll just say the name is Gigi, and. Um, I love that character, and I would I would definitely play Gigi if I had the I will chance. Say, I will say that my favorite character that I have played is the one that I played in the new season. Um, oh yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got some that's, really fun stuff coming. It, go- it goes to another level in season two, and I'm yeah. very excited. Ian, what about you? Oh my god. Um. You have played pretty much every character at a certain point, purely out of utility point. in recording sessions. Yeah. I mean, your Eilerson is so good. Oh my god. <laughs> I will <laughs> never <laughs> not be thrilled by your Eilerson. Eric Eilerson, who I plays love... uh, Misha and the director and Tommy Two Hands. Yeah. Oh, I also play Tommy Two Hands. Wait. An iconic uh, character. <laughs> oh, truly. And, and Eric plays one of my favorite characters in the, in the upcoming season. Oh, too. yeah. That's a good um, one. That's true. Honestly, uh, my my favorite character to read whenever we got to read was Maximilian. So oh, probably yeah. Maximilian. And your Maximilian was so different Very than Sean's. Very different than Sean's. In my head, it's, that character sounded completely... That, in my head, Maximilian Bohr was just like, it's just a Jason Manzoukas character. <laughs> and Sean did this incredible... Like, the, the touchstones he was using, That he, he was like, you're Don Draper if Don Draper was played by Steve Carell. And he was like, and he <laughs> ran with it. Yeah. And he's just, I mean, he's so talented what, anyway, but yeah. yeah. What's wild to me about Sean is that, like, I have heard his voice exclusively um, as, like, Maximilian. And then, like, I he works a lot with, like, Chicago Children's Theater. Um, and it, Chicago Children's Theater, like, has their own podcast, which uh, Sean and... Uh, uh, his wife, Jess, Jess, uh, Jess um, who are uh, like they, they, they do that. That's they, they make the podcast, right? Um, and like going from like legitimately while I'm editing the Vanishing Act, um, the final episode, I'm working on this other thing and like looking, listening to the other episodes of the podcast that I was like a guest audio engineer on, and it's like going from him being like, oh, what's up, losers, to like, hey, kids, we're going to go and uh, learn about <laughs> Chicago. It's like, oh, my God. Wild. The range on that the man. The range on that man. Yeah. Also, if you've oh, ever, is... ever heard him sing, you'll want to gouge your ears out. Yeah, he's he's so or play talented. the fucking saxophone. Yeah. I hate that man which, so much. Which he did on, uh, on, the, on yes. Rhett's theme. Red Steen, yeah, the saxophonist Whoa. is um, Sean Fouch. I didn't Sean know Fouch that. Is Maximilian oh, Dorf, yeah. Whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, here's, a, here's a fun one. Um, during the recording sessions, was there any improv that we kept in? 
<laughs> then they then they go on to say the banter and the jokes slap so hard. So thank you, Smooth Mover. B R zero. Oh, Smooth Move Bro. Oh, nice. but with a zero. Nice. Gotcha. Nice. They specified with a zero. Thank you for that question, and thank, thank you. you for that comment. So, I will say any word that was incorrectly pronounced by Daniel Mills. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, but that was an improv. That was just me attempting to read. And more often than not, it made it into the show. <laughs> it did. <laughs> yeah, I think the, my favorite is the uh, is when Daniel said rhymed spectacle and finale. <laughs> Spectacale finale. Fuck you. That was my favorite. Sarah did one of my favorite ones where she has a monologue to Jess, uh, who plays Vicky St. Francis Francis in episode six, when she's talking about how the bad Germans used to make fun of her when she's pretending that she's Jewish. Uh, And Sarah just added this little oh boy when you're about to launch into the explanation. The self-awareness is just adds an extra layer of funny. It really did. And it really also, I think, like, makes the character less evil in that moment. And a little bit more, I'm doing this out of necessity, not not out of, like, malice. <laughs> right. So it's it was an improv that, A, made me laugh, and then on another level just made that character feel a lot more grounded and specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so good on you for that. And then we threw, a, for this upcoming season, I'll say this. We do a little bit of, especially more in the second season, a lot of like alternate lines of -hmm. like, hey, can you try this? Can we try doing a line this way? And I think Tina, you and Lawrence Stephanie were the recipients of most of those in our recording sessions because Lilith turned into much more of a dirtbag over the course of our recording sessions. Sure did. So you were just a fucking champion being able to just kind of make all of those adjustments on the fly like that. Yeah, the way we tend to run recordings is we do two takes. And then we go into what we call punch-ins. So it's like we do like sets of lines or we ask the actors like, oh, is there any other like alternate lines you want to try? Or do you want to try any improvs? Or in the case of, of Millhouse, okay, you said two different improvs there. Can we get once where you do it how it's written on the page? <laughs> um, I don't want to say rewrite, but that's how I get away. <laughs> and what kills me is we usually end up using your improvs too. Yeah. They're good. All of all of the mispronunciations are truly some of my favorite shit. Um, and then one of my favorite improv was Maeve's. Maeve who plays Tabitha. Oh my god! Was yeah. from episode four. Was the um, was when she's seducing Conrad. Um, <coughs> was when she has the the line our chemistry it's electric and she was the one that added the boogie woogie woogie. <laughs> she also did another really great uh, ad lib during a rehearsal session, first rehearsal with, with, um, Corbett Pasco and Maeve Devitt, who played Tabitha and Bernadette Glob, um, where Bernadette, uh, Corbett has a line where she says, uh, Mr. Griffin, I am not a woman to be twiddled and diddled. And Maeve just said, can I say I am? <laughs> so that line in the episode was purely just a, that was a Maeve Devitt special. Well, in- Maeve's such a good in- improviser. Yeah, like incredible she's incredible. comedic mind, both yeah. of them. But I will also say that, like, probably 99% of the jokes are written by Ian and Lauren. I mean, like, the scripts that we get are so good and so dense with all of these delicious jokes and occasionally even inside jokes between us. So, like, not only are we (laughs) trying to, like, not only are they trying to satisfy the audience of this show, but they're trying to make us laugh. Um, because there was a line that they put in that Sam, we all did that Shakespeare show together and Sam Hubbard's big thing 
was uh, before the show when he was doing the pre-show, he would say, um, now, don't sit back, don't relax, but do enjoy Romeo and Juliet. And they put that in the damn show. Just That's not the us. only Sam Hubbard, like, quote that we've put in that particular episode because the other one was a famous thing that I will never forget that he said which we were 6 a.m. and I saw him with an iron at a show and I was like why did you bring an iron to this show and he said well I'm not playing Mercutio and wrinkled corduroy and so we put that in the show yeah. and Belinda <laughs> says that in episode 12 yep <laughs> so the amount of work that our gorgeous writers have done to not only entertain the, a, a potential audience but also us um, I mean just and just how angry a lot of it made me while we were trying to record and I couldn't get through something without fucking laughing at it um, yeah no it's it's like 99% them they're geniuses yeah. That's nice. I, I will say one of my favorite, one of the things that tickled me as, as a director and, and writer was anytime we got to a bit where like people would be reading a joke or reading a scene and then you would stop and go, oh, that's the joke. Hold on. Can we go back? And like, yeah. <laughs> and I think almost everybody had a moment like that. Yeah. And it was just one that was like, okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Great. Like it just gets me very jazzed. As, uh, the very long bit while the narrators are talking between me and Lilith about the difference between seltzer water and tonic. Is like one of my favorite dumb long conversations. It was like one of the most fun to just have with Tina. Just like have that conversation. Um, and all of that, none of that was improvised. All of it was just exactly written out so simply, so beautifully. Yeah. That is all fan. Ian. Ian, you wrote yeah. all of that. Thank you. A big fan. Genius. Uh, I've watched a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Great. Um, do you want to do rapid fire Devorah questions? We got a shit ton of Devorah questions, so so we're gonna go through them real fast. Great, Lauren. I'm gonna I'm gonna or I guess I will ask these since you uh, you will have insight. Will you answer them character. as Devorah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like what kind of? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did that in the in the the next season script. Every one of Devorah's lines has an accompanying yes. Uh, parenthetical that says what Devorah's quack actually means because mm -hmm. we realized that when we first started recording Devorah it was a lot of like say it like uh, you know now let's get some some angry quacks and now let's get some yeah. happy quacks now let's get and Lauren who edits together all the episodes would have to kind of go through and pull that out and we realized like it's actually going to be so much easier if Devorah's just in dialogue with mm -hmm. everyone in the scene so we just wrote her lines mm -hmm. and then just translated it to great. Now, Lauren, you can only quack, but that's the subtext you have yeah. to <laughs> infer in this quack. Spoiler alert, it's me that does all of the quacks. Yeah. Ooh, yes. uh, Exclusive to the q and I know. Look at that double casting. I'm sure the conspiracy theories about that will be fun. That was oh. you? <laughs> what? What kind of duck is Devora? Devora is an ornery black mallard. She is a mallard, but she has the vibe of a Muscovy, which, if you've lived in Florida, you know means that she's a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. uh, will Devora get the chance to eat more eyes? Please say yes. Why not? I will say she gets the opportunity, and she does similarly destructive things. Yes. But whether or not she eats eyes, I will not say. We'll save that uh, for the body swap Halloween episode. Yes. 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 yes, yes, You can take. I will say the Rudyard T. Codswallop only has one left, and he's on thin ice. Turn Rudyard into just like the Tiresias of this crazy oh my group. God. Um, it's what he deserves. How do you make the Devora noises on the show? Is it a voice, an instrument, an effect, or a combo? Um, I will let Lauren and Daniel Eddie Williams talk about this. It's a combo. This is what Daniel will get when I send it to him. It will sound something like this. And then Daniel will do his magic on it. And, and then I do some, you know, 
uh, <laughs> very, you know, basic kind of uh, audio wizardry, and I send it back uh, to Lauren and Ian for their stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. I will say the first time, because the first time we meet Devorah is obviously in episode three. The first time we got, like, draft one of episode three from Daniel, so the first time I got to hear Devorah, <laughs> I was at my dad's house, and I listened to it at, like, 12.30 in the morning, and I laughed so hard <laughs> that, like, my my dad legit was like, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I just heard something that sounds like a hilarious duck or a robot farting. <laughs> Or uh, I don't know, but it's it's brilliant and it's exactly what it needs to be. I mean, to be fair, Ian was high, but also <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> like, um, this is from uh, Rochelle. So, is Devora some kind of a secret agent working for an undercover government or organization, possibly a duck organization, that was ordered to spy on the vanishing box in order to verify the information of its existence and record the data that she collects, considering how she seemingly, on coincidence, is always around it somehow? No No comment. comment. (laughs) With a question like that, we've made it. This is a true fan. Yeah. We have multiple Devorah conspiracy theories on lo- kicking around online. Is Devora our per- Perry the Platypus? Oh. Huh. Wow. What a question. No God. comment. No comment. <laughs> well, I don't but know. Thank what you that for is. your question. Yeah, yeah. answer redacted. <laughs> yeah. Also, I will say just, we addressed some stuff in season two. You're just going to have to find out. Is Devora wearing a fancy hat? Yes. She's, <laughs> wearing, a, she's wearing a baby blue baby's bonnet. Always. Yes. A and she's holding duck? a knife at all times. <laughs> was she in the baby bassinet that Lilith stole? Uh, that bassinet was empty. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> I'm calling bullshit. According to Lilith. Life it was learned. definitely occupied. It was empty. Yeah, because Lilith would have no reason to lie, right, Tina? No. Why would she ever? She would never do such a thing. Uh, this is for Lauren. Is the narrator okay? <laughs> no. Her contract just got renewed and she's not happy about it. Damn. <laughs> the only person that's not excited for season two is this narrator. She's like, fuck, I have to come back now. God damn really? it. Yeah, in a different capacity. Uh, this is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, since uh, This is for Millhouse. Since Griffson is from Boston, what is his 1930s Dunkin' Donuts order? Uh, I, you know, it's probably just an old-fashioned. It's <laughs> not a Dunkin' Hold on one second. What do you think an old fashioned is at a donut shop? Isn't the old fashioned just like, you know, a plain glazed donut? A cake donut, but yes. Sure. Okay, okay. No, that was the best answer. But no, I do thank like you. having a cocktail order for Dunkin' Donuts. It does sound like a cocktail that. order that you got yeah. at a Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Which bitters, an old fashioned two cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> or or I'm thinking, you know, it would be yeah, <laughs> a sprinkled donut, you know, like One. a vanilla, not chocolate, vanilla with mm. sprinkles on it. What's his coffee order, though? Just well, milk. for someone Just who <laughs> has never tasted coffee, a coffee what w- it would be uh, a coffee flavored. It would taste like coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe some people put sugar. So Griffson would probably put a lot of sugar, a lot of creamer. There's a lot uh, of great character work. It's, Nes- well, Nescafe. Uh, it's Nescafe. Nescafe. Nescafe, instant coffee. 
That was the he first thing go, I said. He doesn't go. He doesn't buy coffee. My answer is, I like home. to test the other people in the room with <laughs> their answers. With TVA trivia. That's correct. Yeah. I'm I'm hosting my own game show here. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can't oh. wait to see who wins. <laughs> what about Augie and Lilith? What are your Dunkin' orders? Mine would have like cocaine in it. <laughs> Cause like they did that, you know, like casually. Maybe not in the thirties, but I feel like it still works. So yeah. it would be like the wake 'em ups, which is just coffee and ca- and cocaine. Mm-hmm. And oh. uh yeah, and like a pack of whatever parliaments were <laughs> in the thirties, <laughs> I think is my unfiltered parliament. Yeah, unfiltered <laughs> parliament. Yeah. Lilith, what about you? Uh, little uh, Tina, what about you? <laughs> well, uh, we are one. We are one in the same. Um, I feel like she would just, just like a black coffee with like seventeen shots of espresso, no sweetener, oh, no yeah. dairy, like just and then like some just the caffeine. Correct. Some menthol cigarettes. And- yeah. Well. Yeah. And and Rhett would get like like just like raw tobacco and like roll up a little <laughs> cigarette himself. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, and then those little, those little uh, hash brown tater tot things. She loves. Oh my god, those are so good. Yeah. Yeah. Ask me the coffee question again. I think I got it. (laughs) We're gonna move on. It would be orange juice. I think Griffson (laughs) drinks orange juice with a. I think he. I think he does mouthwash and then drinks orange juice. Yes. And And then dips the donut in it. And then is like, why don't I like orange juice? (laughs) 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 Um, This question, I guess, I'll pose to the room. Would Rudyard rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? I think that he would... I feel like he would have to go... Like, if... Honestly, I don't know. If Devorah didn't have the element of surprise, right? I feel like... I do not feel like... I feel like Rudyard would get overwhelmed by uh, Mm -hmm. a thousand Mm -hmm. um, duck-sized horses. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like if... They were fighting on even ground. Rudyard would probably like prefer to go at one horse-sized duck rather mm-hmm. than like mm-hmm. the element of. I do feel like Devorah got the element of surprise, got the mm-hmm. drop on Rudyard. He was having so, a rough day. Yeah, Devorah. Devorah fights dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Millhouse, sure. what about you? I think Rudyard does not have the capacity to understand a thousand. What is it? it a thousand? It's only a hundred. It's only a hundred. Oh, a hundred. A hundred. Ten million duck-sized horses. The the poeticness behind that. I feel he would criticize mm. them with their existence. See, I think Rudyard likes to be like the biggest and most important thing in the room. So I feel like he would rather uh, contend with all those duck-sized horses because, like, he can look down on them. Um, versus mm-hmm. a horse-sized duck, which he would have to admit is more impressive than himself. I think a hundred duck-sized horses, because the amount of rage that he has by the end of ten, I feel <laughs> like he wouldn't be able to exhaust it until he had killed a hundred of them. <laughs> so I think it would be a therapeutic exercise yeah. for him oh. to kill a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Even more so for a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so we're no, by by like, like a... two fifty, he's tapped out. You yeah. know. Yeah. What's the next question, Lauren? Oh, gosh. This is when we talk. Some people sent in some headcanons and want to know about ours. For oh. all of us olds, headcanon is like things that you believe in that aren't necessarily in the text of the show, um, but that you personally believe. 
Um, and just this quick disclaimer before we go into this, a lot of this is audience sharing with us their headcanons. And I just want to say, first of all, like, one, everything that we've said, if there's anything you disagree with, like, our headcanon-wise, and you don't like it, throw it away. It doesn't matter. It's not in the show. And also, all headcanons are valid, and, like, they're all true to you. And, like, again, if it's not in the show, it can be true to you. And mm -hmm. so, like, mad respect. Yeah. So, do, which one do we want to start with first, Ian? Let's just go with the first one. Great! So, this one says, This may have been answered before, and I just missed it, which is highly likely, but I'd like to ask anyway. In one of the recent episodes, I believe this is episode 8 that they're referring to, Lilith has a one-off line where she talks about her potential lack of attraction. Is Lilith ca canonically ace, or should I continue to project this headcanon onto her? First of all, I say project whatever headcanon you want onto yeah. literally any of these characters. 100%. But I think that's really awesome that people, like, caught that, because yeah. I, like, very much wanted to get that line in there. Um, like, the way that I think we, like, approach Lilith is that we believe that she's bisexual but aromantic. Um, so that's kind of, like, wh where we come from. That was our intention with the line. But I also think that that reading is also completely valid in that we will never let Augie and Lilith literally ever kiss. Yeah. I've said that a million times and I'll say it a million times <laughs> Much more. Much to Sarah's bodies. Hashtag body swap Halloween, everybody. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, a way around. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah, Tina, do you have anything you want to say to that? or? I, no, I mean, I love that. I think that sounds correct to me. Uh, you know... I like to approach things as an actor from the like point of like what the actor is is what the character is unless like mm. it's not and then like we mm -hmm. make a point of saying it. So like I mean I'm bisexual and I'm on the asexuality spectrum. So like Lilith is all those things if you want her to be all those things. I think like it's not like essential to the character, but it's also a part of a character that is present that I like I think if you want to identify with that in her fucking go for it because I think that's awesome and that is something that like I'm not infusing her with on purpose but like is a part of me so it's gonna be part of her no matter what um so yeah I I love that people are like hearing that and are identifying with yeah that. I also love that answer I think yeah. that's a super super well well thought out and well well worded answer and a super interesting approach to like casting and to like identity of like actor and character I think that's super like just a super interesting and unique thing um, and then, like, similarly, someone else, uh, was wondering specifically about the parallels between Auguste Debor and Augie, and wondering if that was purposeful. Um, so this person is, like, they have the headcanon that Augie is trans, and named himself after Auguste Debor. And I think that that's, like, a really, really interesting, like, headcanon with it. I, I will say that, like, we, the pretty much the only approach we have to Augie is that he identifies as male and uses he, him pronouns. So I think anything that you choose within that spectrum is completely awesome. And I will say like the name wise, I think we approached those. I don't know if that was an accident that we did that, or if we wanted that to be a, a parallel between the two producers of this show that vanishes a bunch of people. I want to hear what Sarah thinks first before I say anything. I don't know that I picked up on that Easter egg. Uh, of or I knew Auguste Debord, but I hadn't thought about Augie. I was just like, oh, you know, German names. So that's delightful. <laughs> I love Germans that so be like much. Oh no, I'm just gonna delight in that headcanon. Yeah. Um. I so I will say at the at the risk of kind of solidifying something. Um. 
I'm super stoked that somebody picked up on that. That was an intentional thing. Uh, but yeah, right. yeah, it was. Yeah, the, and did the naming for Augie yeah. and for August. So I was wondering about that. Yeah, most of these people, most of the characters' names, uh, I, I, naming is something that I have a very difficult time with as a writer. Like I, I just am kind of like I don't know. Their name is Jan and no 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 and like whatever. But then I. For this, because we had so many nesting dolls in so many things, and there were so many Easter eggs throughout, um, one of the things I wanted to play with was something I've actually been seeing as a trend in a lot of writing recently. Um, a lot of great television shows, specifically uh, Atlanta. Uh, but they do this incredible thing on Atlanta where they will um, put kind of callbacks to things that you've seen, and you'll be like, oh, is this going to have something to do? And then it never pays off. And it's something that I just find really amazing because it, it really does allow me as an audience member to dig deeper into, into uh, grounding a character name or a beat or, or something in a, in a further specificity uh, for myself. Or it could just be sometimes the universe is just weird like that and just has coincidences and that's, that's just the way it works. But the Auguste de Boer, Augie de Boer, or Augie Eckhart naming, were uh, that wasn't intentional uh, naming. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Symmetry. We love symmetry. We also do that a lot with like with casting with our double casting where we have a lot of yeah. like the same actor will play multiple members of the same family mm -hmm. or you all know. of the DeBoers are played by Sean Fouch. All of the Picards are played by Rob Kozlarek. All So we try really hard to keep that symmetry going throughout. Yeah. And we have like a lot of other little like some of them are like utilitarian. It's like this person was available on this day, but we try to make it purposeful as much as possible mm -hmm. um within the within the realm of possibility um but i think that both of those are like just absolutely fantastic and i love those um so yeah this is for for everyone for here. everyone if you have anything yeah if you have anything what is one headcanon that you have about your character or about the show that may not be in the text of the show yet i'm i was thinking about this like actually Earlier on, before we were talking about, like, um, queerness in the media mm -hmm. that we made, um, but I, I was thinking about the idea that, like, I think it makes total sense for the character of Lilith to, like, use, like, exist outside of the gender binary in that, mm. like, they are such a utilitarian character that, like, I mean, you know, she uses Rhett as like a uh kind of way of um uh, establishing ground and um you know uh cr credentials or um you know respect for herself in a time where you know women are not uh given a lot of agency um just in general um, and I definitely think that uh, it's very Lilith to be a uh, time-traveling, gender-fluid person who uses whatever gender or pronouns that are going to get them the most, uh, s like, social or um, uh, 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 interpersonal, like... Uh, ground right like mm -hmm. to you to, to to step outside of the gender binary and then uh use it as a utilitarian concept as and like own it in that way i think is very lilith yeah love that love that anybody else have anything yeah i think <laughs> that griffin 
has never read Hemingway. <laughs> I, he accidentally reverse engineered Hemingway. Amazing. What about Fitzgerald? Do you think he's actually read any Fitzgerald? Absolutely not. I think, and I think he's met them. Oh. <laughs> So you do think he has met them? Yeah. Yes, but doesn't know that's who he met. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! Like oh my god! Like I think he was with them. They maybe gave him this plot idea. They were describing the plot, and then Griffin thought, "Oh, this is my idea. I had this all along." Oh my god! So he thinks he's lying about having met all these people. But he actually has, and he just didn't realize it. Oh yes. Just like he did with Rudyard. He forgot he met Rudyard and, multiple times. And I think reverse engineered. I think a lot of things have been stolen from Griffin. I think Nescafe oh, Instant sure. Coffee. I think he had that idea. Bistro Bistro. <laughs> I think that was an idea he had that someone turned Bistro. into a business. But he doesn't uh-huh. remember that he had those ideas. Because he just, he's just overflowing. With yeah, he's just overflowing. <laughs> I'd like to think that that uh, extends to all the magicians that uh, he claimed to have met as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on top of all the writers, I like to think mm-hmm. the magicians, even the dead ones, are people. Especially the dead ones are actually <laughs> the magicians are all people he thought he created in a various con. <laughs> I will say I do believe that he when he says like oh I made up the amazing Vincenzo in this conversation I don't know how he did that I think if the amazing Vincenzo is real and he just doesn't he what thought if he made it Vincenzo up Vincenzo is Conrad oh and he forgot he was a magician he just yeah he just what's the <laughs> phrase when you nightline that's not it when you work in that <laughs> when you have like uh, moonlight, a different job moonlight, moonlight. he moonlight uh, I think you're gonna say like when he, he goes as a magician nightline <laughs> <laughs> when he's 60 minutes to the amazing Vincenzo. Tonight, I forgot that I was a magician for two years. Coming up, we'll interview people that claim they saw me. Oh my gosh. This isn't a question that was, I'm sorry, I'm taking the, the reins of do host uh, right now. But hey, we're fantasy, in charge, do it. <laughs> fantasy casting for... Oh. Your character or any other character? Like, mm. who would you cast as Lilith if, like, given, like, a celebrity casting thing? I would cast Tina Munoz Pondra. Oh, my God. The famous. So much. The one so and much. only. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'll be honest. Like, we, we did think about this a little bit of, like, oh, if there was, like, the, a Vanishing Act movie or, like, the limited series, who would we want to play it? And, and as corny as it sounds... I genuinely am like, I kind of don't really see anybody else but these people. Mm-hmm. So I I think I'm too close to it to answer that question. There's one character that, that is physically modeled after a person, and that <clears throat> is Rudyard T. Codswallop. Yes, Rudyard T. Codswallop, folks, when we first wrote Rudyard, um, was based off of incomplete... Look, give yourself this image. If you've never seen the incredible 1999 <laughs> film, The Talented Mr. Ripley... Rudyard T. Codswallop is modeled after Jude Law's character Ooh. in The Talented Mr. Ripley. It's the hottest Jude Law's ever looked. Yeah. At his absolute peak. Who is, uh, yeah. The height of his powers, like truly unstoppably hot. As a straight identifying man, <laughs> the hottest man I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> I would leave Lauren for him today. I would be okay with that. Can I come with you? Exactly. And you know what? See, look at that package deal. <laughs> Yeah, His name is Dickie Greenleaf. He's a great character. Anyway, sorry. Google it. Uh, He's hot. Uh, I think that Griffson 
has the head of Hugh Jackman, <laughs> the body of Ryan Reynolds, the feet of Gene Kelly, and the personality of Steve Martin. The Steve Martin one is real, though. Next question. If <laughs> you... I, I just don't see any Last call for any headcanons. Yeah, any headcanons? Oh, Sarah, I do think any? that when Augie was little, he wanted to be an actor. Oh, oh no, but he oh, just God, wasn't very so good, which is why he hates <laughs> them he hates so much. So bad. That tracks so good. painfully hard. I love that. Oh, I think he like auditioned God. for a Christmas Carol and didn't get it, and then was like, "I'll never do that." When he was like five, yeah. That's why would him. God bless everyone? Yeah, There's yeah. Some people he wouldn't like. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. work on his audition tape. <laughs> Eight-year-old Augie's audition tape for Christmas Carol. Yeah, the second half of that question was, and for the writers, would you ever consider canonizing these head cannons? That Augie one, I would consider putting in. It's going to be a tragic flashback one day. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, this has all just been one big brainstorming session yeah. for us. For oh, this yeah. question, this is, yeah. Clickety clack, clickety clack, here we go. All right. Gripson feet. No, I, I will say that there's a lot of stuff. Part of the reason why we wrote a second, se- there's a larger Re- more serious reason why we ended up writing the second season, but some of the reason why we, why Lauren and I decided to continue it uh, was because there were a lot of ideas that that we just still had for these characters that mm-hmm. we were like we've been insinuating it with a line or insinuating it with like a beat or a silence and something mm-hmm. like that in a scene, but we do actually want to explore uh, what this means for some of these characters, and we're there is still <laughs> hint hint nudge nudge. There's still quite a bit that we're very interested in exploring. That we just cannot talk to you about yet. Yes. Um, Great. If you had to spend a day with one of the characters on the show, who would it be? And what would you do? Zimmer, go to brunch. Oh, correct. (laughs) Great call. (laughs) Zimmer, go to brunch. Yep. That's That's, what I would do. That's the only answer, I think. That's the only answer. Actually, no. I would go see a play with Hirschfelder. I want to have a full-on pithy... Like drinks at the bar afterwards and just rip something to shreds with with Hirschfelder. I would I would want to tag along with either Graveman or Retalia slash Lilith and get to and get to administrative services shit. You know, oh, yeah. we always see them vanish, and I never. Mm-hmm. So I would want to smoke bomb it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to do a full noir side plot solving a murder with Retalia. Mm. Yeah. Hey, I'm here for it. Anytime, yeah. anywhere. Oh, yeah. But brunch is the correct answer. Brunch is the correct answer. Did you, did Tina, you give do yours? you have one? I, not really. I mean, I was like, I feel like Vicky St. Francis and I could have like a fun, just like, drugged mm-hmm. up day on the town. But <laughs> only a specific version of me would have fun doing that. So, yeah, I feel like brunch with Zimmer is like... It. <laughs> it's a safe bet. Yeah. There's too much weird subtext with Vicky St. Francis. You're like, what side of this war are you on, girl? <laughs> You're a little too blonde. This is interesting, this question. Oh, yeah, wait. Uh, I'm proud that no one said that they'd spend the day with Roger T. Coswell just to see what would happen. Of course not. Just, like, we're all kind of curious. He peaked episode one. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick, I would say, specifically episode one. Uh, great. Oh, I love, I love this one, too. In your opinion... What is the greatest love story in season one? I mean, the love that Tabitha has for anyone that goes near her. <laughs> yeah. the, I love that. Devorah and chaos. I think the greatest, I don't want to, 
I'm not spoiling it. I'm not going to spoil it. No. Don't say the thing. <laughs> Yet to come. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it. Come, don't fucking say Edit it. Edit all this out. It's just... <laughs> it's all gone. <laughs> I'm going to say um, Zimmer and Augie. Because Zimmer, you know, just wants a friend. <laughs> no. And Augie's, you know, Augie shows up. Not meaning to. I think it's. I think Griffson and and Zimmer have a really great connection in their Actually, one scene yeah. in part twelve. We talked about that scene about like, oh yeah, no, Griffson comes. In. I was like, I think Griffson and Zimmer would be really good friends, and Augie would hate that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, in the like original first draft of of their meeting, it was a very much kind of like one off. Like, it was just the exposition. Yeah. But, of course, us as writers, we're like, well, we can't let anything go. We've got to deliver 70 to 80 page scripts per episode. <laughs> so, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, well, Griffson and Zimmer would have to get along. Let's give them two pages of, of like, <laughs> patting each other on the back. <laughs> I would say Zimmer and Belinda. I Zimmer really and like Belinda is the most stable relationship. Yes. Yeah. Sure. I love yeah. Zimmer's story about how he met Belinda tossing her dead aunt's ashes into the Pacific when he was... Uh, just Jacob Mundell, who plays Zimmer, his delivery of that monologue is, it makes me laugh and is also so weirdly sweet. And I'm, I just really enjoy that. They're so pure. I, we just got to uh, shout out Jacob Mundell's accent work in this Oh my God. Because when you told me, when I, you first had me read Augie and you were like, he's German. I was like, oh no. And then <laughs> oh, yeah. you explained it that like, you know, no, in the way that like there are people and there are puppets on Sesame Street. Yeah. <laughs> You're a person. Yeah. And then Jacob is going to be a German puppet. And his <laughs> accent, I mean, I can't, it's so good. He's so insanely funny, and he's so good at that accent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have a question I completely forgot that was, what are the what are the characters as Muppets? Which we've talked about on social media before. Oh. But what did we say? What did we say? That Griffson is definitely, I've always said Griffson is Gonzo. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Oscar, I think. Oscar, I, think. Is Beaker. I think Augie, like Lilith is either Beaker or she is, um. Dr. Bunsen Honey. Bunsen Honey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's Honeydew. And Augie's Rizzo. Augie's Rizzo. Specifically, um, I always think of Augie and Griffson as, like, their dynamic is Gonzo and Rizzo from Muppet Christmas Carol. For sure. Yeah, yeah. light the light, but, not the rat. Light the light, not the rat. But, Do we think, like, Rudyard is both. Miss Piggy, though? Because I feel like Rudyard's a little bit Miss Piggy. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I think Rudyard is either Miss Piggy or he is the only human being, and he is Jude Law from the Talented yes. <laughs> And, and Zimmer is Kermit, just the nicest. Oh, absolutely. Just trying to get or by. Or he's Fozzie. He might be Fozzie. Oh, yeah. Too. Fozzie, yeah. A little Fozzie. I love him. Yeah, I, um, I just want to put in one more thing for the greatest love story of season one. Because love stories don't have to be romantic, I think it's Augie and Gripson, hands down. Oh. Unironically, yeah. I think, yeah. I think Positive that is male the friendships, to quote Rob Cousin. Positive male friendship. <laughs> and I think that, like, we, we get them to a really good place. They hug. They're like, I think Augie will never admit that they're best friends, but, like, they are. And I, I love that for them, and maybe they'll make each other better people. I mean, I think Augie sits very nicely in the best friend role come season two. <laughs> he does all the catty things he's supposed to do that a best <laughs> friend I'm does. for people to hear where Augie goes when he finally has, you know, like an actual emotional stake in some, you know, some danger that a friend might be in. Um, and I'm interested in, in where that takes him. You know, that is so right because life imitates art. And let me tell you, from working on this, anytime <laughs> I get a text from Sarah, I'm just so happy. Aww. Usually there, I heard, I just heard the episode where you impersonate my voice again. I hate you. 
And then he writes back the nicest thing that anyone's ever said about me. You know, well, that, now you it's just broke my much... joke. My joke was going to be, I don't respond. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> Um, we're in the we're in the final stretch. We have two more. Qu- we have two more questions. Plus, I have a list of fifteen. <laughs> oh, oh great. great, great. We'll do that after Thousand. we stop recording. Right. So let's go go around the horn to everybody. Um, what is your favorite episode? Oh, I don't know though. Um, I mean, uh, in most recent memory, not counting the ones that have not been released yet, because those are up there. Um, I, I mean, the bottle was so fun to record because it was just the three of us being like as stupid as humanly possible. Um, that was that was a lot of fun. But I'm like, there are others. Like, I love a Rhett heavy episode for me personally, just because like I really enjoyed Batmaning it, <laughs> Batmaning it up a little bit. Um, Batman Benoit Blanc, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, a vibe that we crave. But yeah, I think like in terms of like. The writing and the way the characters get to interact, like the bottle is just kind of unbeatable. I will always love the pilot so much. I will always love episode one so dearly, mostly because I got to do pretend to do coke and then also hit on Tina just shamelessly and so hard. Like the comeuppance in every scene for Augie in the first episode is stunning. Um... (laughs) And then, and then I would say that the episode where he meets Griffson, um, yeah, episode three, because the getting drunk and that and that whole into the scenes with Rob about losing oh my this God. positive yeah. knowledge. Dr- drunk Sarah is a mode that Lauren and I talk about so much. We're just we need to write more drunk scenes. Drunk for Augie, Augie is my Sarah's favorite. Really Augie, good at playing please. drunk. I love drunk Augie so much. I yeah. Uh, I, I love those first two Griffson episodes. I love that montage. It's still one of the silliest things we've ever done. <laughs> I love it. Because Sarah uh, does the drunk so well in the scenes we do drink, I, I just can't play drunk. So that there's a headcanon that Griffson just maybe doesn't drink. Maybe it's like straight up tonic or something. Ooh, oh, interesting. I like Seltzer. that. Seltzer. Yeah. Not the same yeah. thing. What about the Vapcra? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, see? Look at this one. Uh, Milhouse, what about you? Uh, 10 or 11. Which is 10 and which is 11? 10 is the one in the movie set. 11 is the bottle. Oh my god. Both. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Uh, Eddie Williams, what about you? I, I feel like I have, like, definitely favorite, like, moments. Uh, because, like, well, because, like, all of the episodes blur together because they all, I think of them and I look at the, like, hundreds of tracks of, like, logic <laughs> that I'm, like, trying to organize in some way that's meaningful. Um, but I I would have to say, like, 10 was one I was really proud of with the way that the Rudyard Eye thing came out. Um, We're all very proud of that. <laughs> I do sometimes go back into like my little logic folder and look at like a, uh, uh, episode one, scene one, which we used to do these things by scenes, which was um, quite the, <laughs> the choice. Um, but I, I, I think that like, yeah, the opening, like the actual like vanishing act sequence, I will always be very, very proud of. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, so 
core to the show. Yeah. yeah. Ian, what about you? Um, I would my two favorites. Uh, they're tied. Are episode nine, uh, and episode twelve. Episode uh, nine, the one with the narrator interaction. Yeah, the narrator yes. fighting the narrator dialogue bit. Like it's it is a you get a really nice like. Just you get. To, I like it for many reasons, but one of them is just that you get to watch Augie deal with three very different types of people in three very different ways, uh, and so it was a lot of fun to write, especially because at that point the plot had become so convoluted that I, as a writer, literally just needed to write myself a recap of what everybody wanted and what everybody needed and when they needed it by, and it ended up turning into. Uh, th- it was just like a really fun writing exercise of just kind of like okay, well what if we actually just try to make this its own episode and try to make it, how do you do exposition in a fun way? Yeah. Um, and then episode 12 just has my favorite jokes in the entire season. Yeah. Uh, I, I just love all of it. And to be honest, it's the Grissom and Augie's dual, uh, uh, pre-show speech is my favorite bit in the entire season. Um, yeah. Lauren, what about you? I, the two that I keep coming back to time and time again are episode four um, I love Picard. I love the, like, I love the glob so much. I love any episode where Devorah gets to just, like, absolutely unleash chaos. <laughs> so I'm biased. Um, and episode 10, which I also love. Episode 10, I love the, like, both of the plots in that so much. I love the stuff on the movie set because it's so, so stylistically different. And it's such an interesting build with, like, the music that we brought in again and again. And, like, Rudyard's breakdown. And, like, Lilith's breakdown on set, because I also love seeing what Augie is like as a director. I feel like we, <laughs> we we just, like, teased that forever. And it's like, all right, let's see what fucking monster we unleash. What um, an asshole. <laughs> yeah, and then I think some of, genuinely, yeah. <laughs> and I think some of the stuff in season two, I think, is going to is gonna end up being being up there pretty. I think the the fifth episode of the next season, I think, is is really really exciting to me well great call lauren because our final question mm-hmm. is without major spoilers what is one thing you're excited about in season two either to work on uh either that you worked on or either for or people to hear i totally fucked up saying that question <laughs> but you get it yeah um who's, who's got something first i mean uh, i feel like we all know what my answer is but without <laughs> anything away <laughs> No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Christmas. Yeah, if you all didn't know that, it's it's going to be set at Christmas. It's, we're picking up right where we left off, um, which is Christmas of 1944. Um, and so Christmas will infuse the whole thing. We've got some really fun tropes we're playing with. It's so I fun. I truly don't think I can say what I'm excited about without spoiling there's a lot it. of secrets there is a yeah. lot of secrets i'm excited for the whole thing i'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm i'll say my that. thing because i think it's one of the only things i can say that's not a spoiler i'm excited for the music in season oh. two we have a lot more music in season two um in terms of just like our our designer baldemar um mm. has done like but while he's in law school by the way 
has done like in like incredible underscoring. We have like an orchestral intro now. We have like an <laughs> we like we we've have got an entire, a fucking overture. We have literally an overture, <laughs> and it we sounds have, beautiful. Yeah, and like, I won't give any genius. context for this, He's but so good. there are musical numbers, like sung musical numbers. Um, if you thought season one was very the producers, um, I have really good news for you. <laughs> You're gonna like season two. Um, we have some some callbacks, and we have. Specifically in the third episode, some payoffs that we've been laying the groundwork for for the entire show that I cannot wait to be able to just talk about in general. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Ian, do you want to tease anything? No. Or Sarah or Daniel or Millhouse? For, um, for, the, for the core of our, um, of our fans that, are, that love and hate the theater as much as we do, I think there are a lot of delightful... <laughs> little easter eggs to that theme if you liked any of the theater shows in the first season there's more there's more hamlet there's more play within a play baby um uh and it's the play no one asked (laughs) (laughs) it's maybe the biggest swing we've ever taken on the show it is a season full of big old swings and augie having Uh, the moral high ground let's say it (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> Augie Maybe. finally has the moral high ground. A couple times. Um, Millhouse, what about you? The body swapping. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a thing. Spoiler. Not a thing. Continue. To be clear, uh, not a thing. Fan of the Yet. body swapping. I'm a fan of uh, all the head cannon that we've discussed. All of hearing. <laughs> That's my yeah. bit. Great. That's my bit. <laughs> you did have I, a third? Oh, oh, there's five episodes. That's exciting. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> There's five episodes, wow. but it's very Millhouse records job. under a blanket in a closet. <laughs> he was really excited about the five episode aspect of it. Yeah, he gets very toasty in there. I do. Uh, the only thing I will say, and I'll, I'll use this to kind of bring us to a close tonight, is uh, the the second season was so much fun to write. We wrote it last summer, um, and it it all kind of fell together very organically and very naturally with where you all and the rest of our ensemble were taking these characters anyway. And so I'm the thing that excites me the most about this next season is I think that while we have heard all of you uh, acting and, and designing and creating a world in all of these, you know, myriad ways that, that, that colored the world so beautifully this next season, I think really, all of you really get to take your characters to that next level. And I, I'm so excited to hear the design elements that come into play. Lauren and I were with Baldemar when, uh, when he's been composing a lot of the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've been composing it specifically to uh, scenes that, have, that Lauren's already edited together. So the timings are very sharp. And I can just tell you now that the stuff that we have heard so far is just like, like genuinely really exciting. So I'm very, very excited for people to hear it. And I, I think that uh, th- this group of pithy assholes uh, you know, may just warm your heart yet. <laughs> it's Christmas. Is there um, a uh, date? Do you have a release date? Yeah, we're November. I can't remember what the date is. We will be announcing that, but I don't, th- I don't think that that's out in the world just yet. But basically it's five episodes that are going to be released um, around around the holidays in the yeah. lead up to Christmas. So the first the first episode I believe is coming out the week of Thanksgiving. 
Any parting words from any of you, or we just want to wrap this up and uh, get the hell out of here? Toba Roba. Toda. What? Tadaraba. Tadaraba. One day we'll release just the clip of him trying to say it 12 times. Oh, I've got the blooper reel. In two days, it is Yom Kippur, the highest of holy days for the Jewish people. And just, uh, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners. Oh, yeah. 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 guys. Wow. Thank you so much. We've been kind of overwhelmed with like, like, I don't know, we got, like, fan art, which was cool, and, like, people have conspiracy theories about Devorah being the narrator. I love that. Wow. And just, like, I I love, like, I don't know, it's really great. Like I said, if you you feel like reviewing, we will gladly send you some stickers. We, um, we've got some really excited stuff we're planning, and I really think that that y'all are gonna like season two. I think we do some different stuff, but it's still very much the show that, that you've grown to love. Creating art in a vacuum can be really shitty yeah. and can be very masturbatory at times. Mm-hmm. And it feels very good to know that that people are enjoying it and, yeah. and that people are getting to appreciate the work mm-hmm. that all of you are doing. Yeah. So thank you for being a part of the show and thank you all for listening to the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have some new shit for you in a few weeks. Yeah. You can find us on all socials at VanishingPod on our website, VanishingPod.com. You can... Listen to everything. We should have a trailer coming out soon for the next season, uh, over the next month or so. Just and... gotta write it. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta put it together. Um, but I'm I'm very excited and I feel very grateful and I, I love I just love y'all so much that like our whole cast. I can't wait till we can record something in person again. Parting words from any of you all. Fuck you all. Wow. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much for listening, folks. <laughs> Bye.